Welcome to Nature Therapy Online. Hello there friends and welcome to another episode of Nature Therapy Online. My name is Stephen McCabe and I'm an ecotherapist living in Scotland. And ecotherapy is the act of connecting with nature for our well-being but also for the well-being of the planet as well and the ecosystem. We feel better when we connect with nature. That's a scientifically proven fact. And nature benefits if we care for it. It's a two-way thing and I feel very privileged that it's my my job in life to to do this work. So there are many, many ways of connecting with nature and there are many ways of practicing ecotherapy. And one of those ways is through myth and legend and story. And for me, storytelling is an interesting thing because I began to learn the art of storytelling um, really only about one year ago. And it wasn't long after I had also um, done some training around guiding meditations for other people. And there's a crossover for me with both of those things. I think, first of all, you know, a story can be um, entertainment. That can be the, the, the sole purpose. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Um, but very often, especially when we're dealing with the world of, of myth and ancient tales, you know, there can be a real spiritual element, I think. And it's no secret for people on this podcast that I am very interested in the ways that nature and uh, story meet each other and work together because so many old myths and legends are, are nature-based. And for me, there is a place for uh, an art form, if you like, or uh, you know, a practice that brings together story and meditation and nature. And that is what the story I'm going to share with you today does, hopefully. It's not an old myth, like I usually tell. Um, it's actually a pretty recent legend and not a very well-known one. Um, and it's something very close to my heart. And what I want you to do for this episode, even if you're one of the people, and I'm sure there are many who don't get especially excited when I'm doing one of my storytelling episodes, it's not for everybody and I appreciate that. But what I would invite you to do, whether you are a fan of stories and tales and myths or not, but perhaps you are a a fan of meditation and you're interested in that is to treat this story like a meditation so when your mind wanders from the story bring it back let this story be the focus of your existence for the next 10 or 15 minutes and this story is the story of the buddhist nun and the white tiger
It was a very, very long time ago. 3,000 years ago, approximately. And in the jungle lies the most beautiful white tiger. The tiger is male and he's young, but he's fully grown as an adult. And he's lying underneath a huge tree. The tree is so tall it reaches up almost into the clouds and around it are so many more other trees of this size and the tiger just feels so at peace and so free. He lies back in the shade and feels the blazing midday heat beaming down onto his soft white fur. The sounds in this jungle are so rich. There are monkeys screaming and playing at the top of the trees. One has stolen a coconut from the other. There are snakes hissing around in the grass. There are parrots squawking and chirping and flying about. The place is just awash with colour and life. And here is the white tiger and he feels like he is the king of everything. He knows he can eat whenever he wants to eat. But right now he doesn't need to. He's relaxed. He's breathing in the air. And as he's breathing in and breathing out and feeling at peace, he takes a look at his long white legs. He looks at the black stripes and the, the young pink pad of his foot and uses it just to calmly scratch behind his ear where there's a little itch. He's somehow aware when he's doing this that he's in such a privileged position in his life that he's young and this body of his doesn't know pain. He's free, he looks up at the sun. There's a gentle breeze on the back of his neck and he feels like he's just a part of everything. Until. Everything changes within a really short space of time for the tiger. Before he knows what's happening, he's within a huge bag, but he doesn't know what he's inside. All he knows is that all of a sudden it's gone incredibly dark and he's furious. There's this rage and this anger inside him that is taken over. How, how could somebody trap him? Where is he? What's going on? He's clawing away at this sack. There's just this darkness and this sensation of being carried. He can hear people. He's sure it's people who have trapped him men. He's heard them in the forest before, scrambling and screaming around outside this bag and he's pushing through with his claws. He makes a small slit in the crack and pokes his nose out. He roars and he's going to take someone out and at that point something heavy bangs on his head and he just goes out cold. Everything goes black and silent. The tiger wakes up on the floor of a cool cave. He doesn't know how long he's been out for. There are bars at the front of the cage 
and three men look. They join their hands together and they bow. The tiger is still. He's half unconscious. He doesn't know what's happening. He can see outside of the bars. The sun is still shining. And he's sure he can see the trees where he was laying just before. He's sure it was just before anyway. He feels so angry. He's trapped. This cage that he's in, it's a cave with some makeshift bars on the front, is is no bigger than three tigers. So he pulls himself up on his left side and he roars and he tries to scratch outside one of the men's faces, but he just misses. They run back, they look frightened, and they mumble in something in the stupid human language that he doesn't understand, but he knows is inferior to his mighty tiger life. And he just looks over as they bow once again, and he begins to understand that these people worship the white tiger. He understands in his own way that to them, he's some kind of god, and this is some kind of white tiger practice, some kind of dedication, some kind of adoration. Because you see, back then in this part of Asia, in this area of the jungle that's what people did a small amount of people had a a religion where they worshipped the white tiger but the white tiger wasn't against being worshipped but he was against being worshipped for the sake of his freedom he was against being worshipped if it meant that people were going to take away his freedom and it made him very angry And as the men bowed, he paced up and down this tiny cage. He just moved. He had to get out. He tried to push his nose through the bars. He tried to roar and scream against the men. He tried to look cutesy. He tried to appeal to the the, the, the sense of, of guilt, perhaps. But they didn't respond. The days turned into weeks. He'd sleep on water, eat the bits of food that were thrown into him. And he'd just pace up and down. He had some kind of stroke. He doesn't know what happened. The whole of his left side never really recovered. But he would still pace up and down, up and down, even though he'd be limping. And his left legs couldn't take the strain anymore. The weeks turned into months and the tiger died in the cage. He was so full of hate when he died. He wanted to kill those three men. But not to eat them. He just wanted to kill them. How could they take his freedom away? Those were his final thoughts and feelings. Three thousand years later, a woman named Peggy Kennett is at a monastery in Japan. She's an English woman. She's shaved her head and she's travelled from England by boat to Japan. This is the 1960s and this woman has always been drawn to the Buddha and to Buddhism. And she's come to become ordained 
as a, as a Buddhist nun. She's come to learn everything she can about Zen. And she wants to spread this message further in the West. She's been invited here by the head of the monastery, Kaido Chisen from Sujiji Monastery. And she knows that across this small grounds where she stood, where there are some trees, mostly grass, and quite a few monks, she can see just over the hut, the place where she's meant to go. But the three men stood in front of her, blocking her way, so that she can't make her way over to the place where her invitation can become a reality, where she can speak with Kaido Chisen and start her journey to train underneath him to become a Zen monk. The men laugh. They say, could, could you tell me again? So you've come from England. You're a Westerner and you're a woman. And you've come here to train to become a Buddhist and to become a monk. Yes? And they laugh and they think it's so funny. Peggy is absolutely exhausted. But this is the place where she needs to be. And she says, yes, I've come from England. And yes, I'm a Westerner. And yes, I'm a woman. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to speak to my master about becoming a Buddhist monk. She gently nudged the men out of the way and did one of the most disrespectful things that you could do, but she saw no other way of doing it. And she walked right across the grounds, not on the path, right across the grounds. This was a forbidden action. And she went over to introduce herself to her master, who was only too pleased to see her. As time went on, she experienced a lot of hardships in the monastery during her training. And one of her biggest tests came in the early 70s when she became really unwell, very sick. She doesn't really know what was behind it. But this nagging sensation on her left side, this pain in her left leg and her left arm, somehow felt connected to the illness. She became so sick that she was hospitalised and then so sick that she fell deep into a coma. And while she was there, she saw all of her past lives flash before her. She recalls and feels herself being a monk in Thailand, walking along the river and feeling the sun beaming down onto her. She recalls swimming in the sea as a child sometime in China in the 800s. And she goes back further and further and further until finally she sees herself and she experiences and remembers her life as the white tiger. She remembers lying under the tree and hearing the monkeys, watching them steal coconuts from each other. She recalls the rage 
and the fear of being trapped in the bag. She recalls being in that cage, pacing up and down. She remembers the pain down her left when she was a tiger and now understands that that pain followed her through all her incarnations up until this point. And as she's lying there and she's remembering and she's twitching in her hospital bed, sweating, the vision comes so clear. There's nothing but a bright light, the heat of the sun. And out of this gorgeous white light that just encases her and makes her feel so safe, walks the most beautiful white tiger you could ever see. She opens up her arms and the tiger comes and he rests his head on her chest and she wraps her arms around the tiger and rests her head on top of his, feeling the warmth and the fluff against her. She never wants to let the tiger go and she stays like this for 24 hours. They barely move. She just strokes his soft white fur as he nuzzles his head into her chest. They both feel this love for each other. In fact, she's never felt love being returned in her whole life. And she, like the tiger, has experienced so much anger and so much hatred over the years for being treated differently because she was a woman and a Westerner who wanted to train in Zen Buddhism. She was tired of people interviewing her for newspapers and treating her like an other when she just wanted to practice. In the same way that in her previous life, this tiger just wanted to live. He didn't need adoration and neither did she. And all this is going through her mind as she's holding on to the tiger and she knows at one point she's going to have to let the tiger go. So she does. She takes the gorgeous animal in her hands. She puts her hands around his jaw and she looks at him and she says, you have to let go of the hate, my friend. You have to let go and forgive them for what they've done. You have to stop hating. You have to. And the tiger nods as if he understands. She gives him one final stroke and he turns around and walks off into the light. The nun comes around. She goes on after becoming healthy once again. She never feels this pain in her left hand side anymore. She recovers from her sickness, from her illness. And guess what? She goes on to open monasteries in the USA and in the UK. And from these two monasteries, temples in the Soto Zen tradition or serene reflection meditation, as the English translation has it, all over Europe, all over the UK and in the USA. But she never forgot what the white tiger taught her in her visions. When the tiger let go of his hate, so did she. And that's when she was really able to spread the teachings to others. Now the tiger, before he went on into the other realm, 
I don't know what that other realm is. I don't know if it was another another life, another incarnation, what happened to the tiger. But before he did, the tiger took a little time to spend in the jungle underneath a tree and hearing the monkeys before he let go of his hate and moved on to where he needed to move on to. And now I wanted to share this story with you. Now this woman became known as the Reverend Master G.U. Kennett. And I will pop some more information about this incredible woman on my blog post for you to listen to. And for me, it's a, it, it's a story I've wanted to share for a long time because one of the temples that she opened as part of her order, which is the Order of Buddhist Contemplatives, is in the Portobello area of Edinburgh, which is not far from where I live here in Scotland. And the the, the, the practice that I was introduced to there um, has been really transformative for me in my life, not just as a human being, feeling like I'm able to experience life a whole lot more as a human being and not someone who's stuck in the past or focused on the future. I feel, I guess, a lot more able to, to live in the present and be grateful. Be grateful for this life I've got. And be grateful for the beauty of nature, which is one of the things for me that has, has, has come out of practicing serene reflection, meditation. Zen is like the, the, the religion of the universe. There's no creator God. But there's no denying that there is all of this around us. And by this, that's something that you need to connect with and, and, and feel for yourself because there's no words for it. But nature is an expression of life all around us, this incredible expression, all these different forms. Just taking time with trees and to see birds, you know, and to come out of our thoughts at least as much as we can. Thoughts are really useful, they're great, you know, use them, that's what makes us human. We can do all kinds of very clever and wonderful things, um, but they can also control us and, and cause us a lot of misery and hate and pain and hate. And so I want to say thank you to the Reverend Master G.U. Kennett and everyone at the Order of Buddhist Contemplatives for doing what they do and, 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 and ecotherapists everywhere, nature therapists everywhere. For me, they both came into my life at the same time. Meditation and nature are the, the two parts, two sides of a, of, a, of a coin, but very closely connected for me. So that's me this week, my friends. Um, I do hope I haven't sounded too preachy. <laughs> that's something I'm trying to be very careful about. Um, it's quite a hard thing when you've spent most of your life being a staunch atheist to all of a sudden realize that, you know, 
you're probably a little bit religious and yeah there's a a, a a constant guilt under the surface whenever i guess you're in this position and you start to you want to share it with people but you're also aware of how it might come across so i hope <laughs> i hope it comes across in the spirit that it's intended you know and and you certainly don't need to practice buddhism to connect with the beauty of life you don't need to uh, connect with any organized religion or, or, or spiritual practice to do that. You know, I think the, the beauty of nature speaks for itself, you know, but, but I do hope that the, the story of, of the Reverend Master G.U. Kennett's visions um, inspired you and moved you in, in some way. So, so thank you very much for tuning in, my friends. And um, as always, I'd love to hear from you if you've enjoyed the podcast please subscribe and, and tune in and listen again and, and connect with nature, connect with this beautiful planet that we're a part of. Take care, thank you, and bye-bye. Visit me online at naturetherapyonline.net